From Workhouse Connect and A.J. Benza. Fame. Uh, he liked to be walked on a leash and play really dirty, kinky sex games. He's a... The guy put the cock in the Peacock Network, okay? Bitch. Hey, everybody. A.J. Benzie here with Fame is a Bitch. This is your podcast, your free podcast for January 28th, 2022. It is coming to you late. It's 11.30 in the morning out here in L.A. because I've got poker to do. And as I warned all my listeners, the schedule for the podcast would be a little bit off and on this week. And that's because the poker show demands like 14-hour days and today I get a little bit of a break. I can start later in the day, but it's not uh, its not easy to squeeze these shows in and give it the proper attention, but we're going to have some fun in the next 30, 40 minutes. But before I do that, I wanted to say something real quick about a, a, a more than a buddy of mine, pretty much a brother. Uh, I call him my cousin. We call each other cousins, my, my buddy and, and best dear friend Mario Macaluso lost his mom the other day. Uh, Mario lived with me in LA for about two and a half years and uh, we're both from Brooklyn, both Bensonhurst Brooklyn boys. Mario's a handsome bastard and had a dream to act and uh, got his chance at it and with living with me, he got some roles out in LA. He looked tremendous. He had that. When I first saw Mario, I was at the 18th Avenue Fair, otherwise known as uh, the the Feast of Santa Rosalia, which is my grandmother's name, my sister Rosalie's real name, my daughter's middle name, and also Mario's mother's name. Rosalia is a big name in the Italian culture. And I saw this girl who was so cute, and she was younger. She must have been, I don't know, 16, 17, and I'm 31 or so. And uh, I start talking to her, but innocently, nothing nasty, you know. And she goes, um, "Do you know my brother?" I says, "No, I don't know. I don't know who's your brother." She, he's, he's over there. I said, I'm, "Let's have some fun. Let's make believe you're my new. I'm, I'm your new boyfriend. Let's see what he does." She goes, "Oh no, no, no! He'll get so mad." I said, oh, "Let's have some fun. Come on." So uh, I walk over to this guy with long hair. He looked like John Travolta in Pulp Fiction, handsome as hell. And I say, "Hey, um." um I'm your sister's new boyfriend. He looked me up and down. Never met me. He says, the fuck you are. And then I laughed and she laughed and he knew it was a joke. And we became the best of friends to the point where he lived with me in L.A., like I said. And we had a lot of adventures in L.A., a lot of adventures. Um, Some of the funnier things were he came, let's call it fresh off the boat from Brooklyn, because a Brooklyn kid is an oddity in in California, especially in Hollywood, it's a it's a certain kind of boy, certain kind of man. And I remember taking him to a fancy party or two. Oh, many. We went to many parties together. And his uh, his innocence was so charming, and is charming, because his family's in the pizza business. He knows good pizza. 18th Avenue in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, is the home of the greatest pizza places you can. You you can't stop into one bad one. And I went to a party with him, and uh, he looked good. People, people in Hollywood all want to know who the new face is, right? And uh, the the party was being catered by Wolfgang Puck, and he had his pizzas out, his fucking specialty pizzas. And everybody's going bananas for these pizzas. Paris Hilton was there, Kim Kardashian was there. Yeah, but they were young bucks, you know. No one really knew Kim yet. 
but she was still very cute. And Mario's uh, eating a piece of pizza, and Paris Hilton says to him, isn't this the best pizza? And with all innocence, he said, you've never been to 18th Avenue, have you? She had no idea what 18th Avenue meant. I knew what it meant. The two girls, Kim and Paris, did not have a clue, but they found him so charming, and before you know what the four of us were talking, never knowing what was going to go on with their lives, the sex tapes, and the millions and millions and millions of dollars later, but Mario was, is that kind of honest guy, and he got that from his parents, and it hurts. I heard from my friend today, but um, I want to start to show off all emotional, but I know what it feels like. It ain't no fun to lose a mom. But it makes me all the more angry when I begin to read stories about what's happening around this friggin' town of Hollywood. It makes me sick. I bring up Demi Lovato a lot on this show because she's such a, a, a filthy hypocrite, you know, thirst trap of a person and there was no reason for her to act this way or the other this is a person that's been given a second chance at life and she's fouling it up again because she doesn't know what she wants doesn't know what she desires decides to tell us leave her alone leave me alone I don't want to be bothered then she does things like this that make everybody want to question her and shake her by the shoulders she said the other day on Instagram <clears throat> There was some kind of Instagram account that asked its followers to describe their previous relationship in three words. And Demi Lovato wrote down, my vibrator's better. Now, she's clearly dragging her ex-boyfriend, Max Eric, who I always knew was a bullshit relationship. He wanted it for clout. She wanted it. Meanwhile, we, we come to find out she doesn't even like men. And what she's done now with her hair and her eyebrows and the spider tattoo and then... And, and, Everything about her. She's miserable. This is a miserable person. Don't ever think you're looking at her as somebody who's happy. I get so mad when good people die and bad people go on to prosper. You got to believe in karma somewhere down the road. Because I know she's got a vibrator to, to push because I think she came out with her own recently. It makes me sick. I don't care if you use a vibrator. I don't care. I've been in relationships where girls like them, and it's fun, and that's that's all good. But when you come out with your own, you're looking for some kind of attention. I don't know what you want to... You're a pop singer. And clearly, you're not being made happy down in those regions of your body. Not by men or women. So you go into the business of creating a piece of machinery that can do it for you? All right, good. But can you keep it private? No one, no one wants to see you or think about you using your 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 invention, or or on top of that, just dragging the guy that actually asked you to marry him. Which again, I never believed it for a second. But this is the kind of girl she is, and we're all supposed to bow down to her when she wants her privacy. And please leave me alone. I have weight issues, and I have mental health issues, and I'm bipolar. Yeah, you're, you're fucking nuts, is what you are. You're nuts. So. Alter your medication, or just shut the hell up. Stop talking. Anyhow, speaking of poker, I spent the other night with Gabe Kaplan, obviously my partner in high stakes poker. For well, God, we've been doing we've done it for nine years. We we took a ten year gap off, but this is the this is the sixth year we're together. 
on a nine-year show. Um, but he I, he remind I, I forgot that he had such a funny book that came out. He wrote. Because a long time ago, he got an email asking him to participate in a show called Celebrity Boxing. And he just couldn't resist the urge to fuck with the person's request. And after they went back and forth with these ludicrous emails that Gabe would send the show's talent coordinator (laughs) as his rider, his negotiation tools, he, he, he had so much fun, he decided to turn it into a book. And it's this very, very funny collection of correspondences, you know, in which Gabe was telling the talent coordinator he slept with more women than Will Chamberlain. He's an expert at Cossack dancing. He thinks he's smart enough to become a member of Mensa. He wants his image on a U.S. postage stamp eventually. And he would like NASA to send him into orbit with Jimmy Carter and Dr. J, which is kind of funny because <clears throat> those things are kind of happening now with Richard Branson and Elon Musk and the other idiot, Bezos, sending people up into space. So Gabe is way ahead of his time with that. But I thought that was a funny conversation with Gabe. I love working with him. It's really fun to be with someone that has been around for so long. I said this on the Patreon show. We worked with the likes of an unknown John Travolta. You know, just so many great stories about his career And he's such a private guy. He keeps to himself. He doesn't really talk about anything. He just doesn't believe in showing off or or, or talking about how much money he made and what he does. He's a very private guy. And it's a a pleasure to be his straight man on that poker show. I mean, he makes fun of me, and that's okay. That's, frankly, that's our gimmick. Gabe is the expert. I'm nowhere near an expert at poker. But... He was kind enough to say, look, when I talk, 2% of the people know what I'm saying. When you ask a question, 98% of the people know what you're saying. So let's just keep doing it the way we're doing it. It's fun. You're a good straight man. And I could do my jokes. And it's a pleasure. And it's an honor. And I got to go back in a couple hours and do more to finish out the first four episodes. When they'll air, I have no idea. Last night... I had the kids over at the hotel, and we're watching a special on ABC called The Last Gangster. I don't know if you saw it. It was kind of, it felt like it was haphazardly put together in a very odd timing, if you ask me. I mean, there's no reason to run a show like that about Sammy the Bull Gravano, the former mafiosa hitman for John Gotti, who went away after he, you know, uh, was state's witness, and now he's out. Back in 2018, when he was coming out of jail after serving a lot of time for a drug uh, ecstasy ring, I announced on this show that when Sammy gets out, he's going to be on television, he's going to have a podcast, and he's going to be using movies. I'm telling you, I know. And everything, everything I said came true, not the least of which is his podcast, which to me is the best podcast out there in terms of honesty. So I'm in the hotel room with the kids, and they don't really know about my life back in 1991, 92, even back in 85, 86, 87, when when I got to know John Gotti and work with him a little bit. And uh, Roxy knows the name John Gotti, but doesn't understand what, what it meant and who he was. So the show's on, and it's very hard to get your kids away from their phones. You know, if you do that more than 15, 20 minutes, you're, you're doing some good parenting. And I said... Uh, 
I said, you know, your father was very close to these people you're looking at. And then these talking heads pop up on the screen. They begin to speak about the 80s and the 90s with the mafiosa and Gotti and Sammy the Bull and, you know, Ed McDonald, the former FBI agent. Um, and also, he was also an actor in Goodfellas when he he was talking to Ray Liotta and Lorraine Bracca when they got busted. Come on, Karen. Don't give me the, don't give me the crying act, Karen. You know, you know you're not innocent. Come on, Karen. He was great. And they were all doing their thing. They're talking. And all of a sudden, my ex-boss, my mentor from the New York Daily News, before that it was New York Newsday, Linda Stacy, my editor, and really my mentor, pops up. And I said, holy shit. This is the woman who made your father, you know, the writer he is. This is the person who gave me a shot. And, I, you know, she, she said, what do you mean, Daddy? I said, well, she took a chance on me because... I gave her some tips when I went out to some nightclubs and she liked my style. She liked the way I wrote, you know, 30, 40 words of uh, here's what I saw last night kind of shit just to give her a tip for a, for a column. I didn't know I was going to become a gossip columnist. I was a sports writer. And then she liked me so much, she said, I want to use you. You got young legs, a lot of hunger. And I told my daughter she knew I'd make her column a better column, a more youthful column. And that's what ended up happening. And that's when I began to go to the um, <clears throat> the John Gotti trials in downtown New York. And I was there for all the trials. And I would come back and report to Linda and, and then we'd read the stories about him in other papers and we knew that we had the best stuff. I even did a side column about what John Gotti was uh, wearing, what cologne he wore, what it looked like when he stepped out of the limousine to go to court, how much money he gave the homeless people on the way into the court building, sometimes as much as 500 bucks he's hand out to these people. So I began to paint a picture of what it meant to be a big gangster in New York. And, and back then, I believed that what he was doing was very valiant. I thought everything John Gotti did was remarkable. I have a signed picture it's in storage now. His autograph, which you don't think mobsters give autographs. Well, they don't. That was part of the problem with John. But um, in, the, in the recesses in court or after court was over, we they'd all go to this little restaurant called GM Bones on Mott Street, the last little stranglehold of Little Italy before it's exploded into Chinatown. And Jim Bones was a little joint that had a phone booth inside, you know, real old, old school like you'd see out of The Godfather. And that's where John and Sammy the Bull would eat, Jackie the Nose D'Amico, and the lawyers Gerald Shargell and Bruce Cutler. And I'd be in there, and so would the former NBC News reporter John Miller. We were the only two guys that did it. I don't know why other people shied away from it. John Miller's gone on to a great career. Now he works as a... Uh, in, in, in the police information bureau, whatever the fuck. He's a public information director. But, I mean, John's had an amazing career. But only he and I would go into these restaurants and go approach John. Um, <clears throat> and we wrote these stories about John in our column that were kind of glorifying his, his, his mafioso lifestyle. You know, Linda's Italian. I'm Italian. We know about the way Italians are. And... There is some glamour attached to it. I know the mafia is bad to a large degree, but John Gotti made it glamorous to 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 to, to some degree, and uh, that was reflected in the columns we wrote. And every time we wrote a column about Sammy, it was the opposite. 
because eventually when Sammy turned state's witness and and ratted on John Gotti and admitted to 19 hits being involved in 19 murders and he just got five years the government was so happy to put John Gotti away they gave Sammy five years for 19 hits that's like four months per murder and we made sure to do the math in the column and let everybody know how pissed off we were I mean the newspapers the, the, the pictures on the headlines were Sammy the Rat and they had him on whiskers and shit his face with whiskers it was a Unbelievable time in New York. You know, it was a, it just was weird. Our guy John Gotti wore two thousand dollars suits, perfect hair. Didn't see he cut his his hair was cut every morning. By the way, every day a barber came to his house. Five hundred dollar painted uh, ties, you know. But now, after all these years have passed, it's plain to see. And if you listen to Sammy's podcast called Our Thing. John was the one who was going against the rules of what they call La Cosa Nostra, our thing. And it was Sammy who was upholding those rules. And if you ever listen to his podcast, you'll understand what he did was so right with respect to the rules of La Cosa Nostra. John Gotti loved the attention so much. He was a narcissist to the 10th degree. And Sammy would say, you know, they'd go out sometimes and John would say, Sammy said, there's these two people over there by the bar looking at them. I'm going to get rid of them, you know, tell them to leave. He said, no, no, Sammy, that's my, that's my public. And Sammy remembers saying, my public? Who the fuck says my public? We're gangsters, John. We're supposed to be under the radar. And then John would buy him a bottle of champagne and sign his name. And it just, <clears throat> it flew in the face of what Sammy believed La Cosa Nostra meant. And he's right. I mean, there's an old-time story. Carlo Gambino, one of the godfathers of the... Gambino crime family, obviously. He told his son to pick out a Cadillac for him so he could, you know, get a nice new car. So the son gets him a really good Cadillac. He brings it home. Carlo liked it. And at one point, somebody said to him, Hey, who's got that Cadillac out front? It's beautiful. What a what a car, magnificent car. Carlo Gambino didn't say nothing. He went home and told his grandson, sell the fucking Cadillac. So what do you mean? We just got it. No, no, get rid of it. I can't. I can't have that people looking at me like I'm doing something illegal. Get get rid of that car. Get me something regular. That's the way real gangsters live. But like I said, Gotti loved the attention, and um, last night's show showed Sammy a much younger version of Sammy talking to Diane Sawyer. His daughter was on there, but you know, we we got it wrong. You know, we got it wrong. We were, we were we were lauding the wrong man. Many of you would say, why laud either one of them? I understand. <clears throat> but, you know, they never bothered me. They were nice to me. They were good guys to me. They scared me one time terribly. John did. But that went away. But um, I don't know. I don't know why that show was on last night. It's kind of an odd timing. I know he's got a podcast. And some people think, and I've heard from law enforcement sources, that these podcasts, these gangsters are now promoting and, 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 uh, and producing are actually helping law enforcement break cold cases. So a lot of these guys, and there's a lot more than Sammy. Sammy just is a very high-ranking one to do it. But a lot of guys, Michael Franzisi, a lot of guys have podcasts out there in different states. <clears throat> and the police are finding out things they didn't know. And it's damaging 
to to what they what the mafia wants to uphold, which is this ultimate secrecy. But anyhow, I still love this. I like the special. It was beautiful, I thought, because I, I, I like the way they spoke about Italian families and the way we are with honor and respect and loyalty. I could even tie this into Mario Macaluso and his father and mother and Benson Nurse. You know, we always know who the gangsters were in the neighborhood. You're nice to them. They're nice to you. If there's a problem with something, you go to them. But you know, if you go to them, they may come to you for a favor. Uh, Mario's family was in the uh, embalming business. I'll leave it at that. You know, and the jewelry business. But they didn't scare us in the neighborhood. That's one thing they didn't do. In fact, they made the neighborhood safe. And I'm a little too young to, to remember Bensonhurst as it was back then. But I know that my sisters could walk around the streets till all hours and whatever. If no one got hurt, everybody protected each other. And everybody knew where the monsters lived. And the monsters made sure the kids were nowhere involved in bad things. And if some kid was drinking too much, they'd send him home. Hey, come here. You know, get the fuck home. What are you doing with that guy? They would take a guy's daughter and say, I don't like this guy you're with. He's drinking too much. He's treating you like shit. Get home and tell your father I told him to take a... And that's good stuff. Now, of course, there's another side to that. You know, they're making uh, how many, two, three cents per window put in Manhattan. They're in all the labor unions. I understand all that. And I know what they mean to the cost of living and inflation and shit like that. But by and large, they do these things to themselves, not to civilians. Uh, Some people say they entice neighborhood kids to allow them to to, to, to follow their footsteps. That's That's not true. When I was a journalist, even in 85, when I was just starting out, John told me, you know, because I would give him gamblers, I'd bring gamblers into his operation in Queens, and I used to get, uh, whenever they lost their first bet, I'd get half the amount they lost. That's called half sheets. And the more gamblers you bring into the operation, the more money you could make. So he liked that I was doing that. I went to him through a cousin of mine who legitimately worked for John. And, um... You know, he liked that I went to college. He said, you should stay away from this kind of shit. You're a good kid. You did the right thing. Make your mother proud. He he said the right things to me. And uh, when I went to court, he saw me. He winked at me. I went to lunch. He let me in. I sat next to them. And I remember when uh, I didn't know who Sammy the Bull was back then, but he was a big guy, you know, like a bull, small but big and strong and he's looking at me up and down outside the restaurant while we're waiting to go in. And uh, Sammy says, and I've told this story, Sammy says to John, who's this fucking kid over here? Want to get rid of him? I think I was 30, 31 years old, something like that, 32. John says, no, 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 he's all right. He's, Sammy says, yeah, but he's with, the, he's with the press. He says, he's more all right than them, John said. And Sammy shook his head like, okay, he understands. John, John's vouching for me. And the other guys that went with that day heard that and they couldn't believe it. Bobby Cassidy and Tim Leonard, who both still write <clears throat> to this day for newspapers or websites, what have you, they were like, holy shit, that day changed everything for you, didn't it? And I said, it kind of did. It kind of really did. I I got out of sports for some reason. I got interested in writing about people and crime and then I'm in the city. I got divorced and I'm around these gangsters and suddenly I'm in nightclubs and then it became the thing to write about celebrities in the nightclubs. And it all worked together. And when I was making my bones going up the ranks doing that, I was in those rooms downstairs watching some guys get hit with phone books on their back and baseball bats to teach them lessons for trying to rob the bar. I was They let me see that stuff. It's fucking scary stuff, man. 
There was one night at a club that these guys ran, and I used to go to a lot, <clears throat> where a, um, it was a nice upscale club called Rouge. My girlfriend was the bartender there. Chico was uh, one of the security guys for a while. And people would come to Rouge in suits. You know, a lot of mafiosa would come there. Joe Watts, who's a who was a major major hitman for 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 John Gotti. He's still he's still around, but a very very wealthy guy. Um, so many people I can't even think right now. A lot of guys would come in, and. Regular people would come in because it was a supper club kind of place. You dance, you, you you have a nice dance with your wife or your girlfriend, typically your gumana, champagne, you got some tables there set up. It was a nice joint. The doorman wore a tuxedo. Everybody was dressed up, you know. And um, they liked me because I used to bring the, the, the downtown set of New Yorkers in. And uh, I'm using their words now. At some point they said to me, It'd be great if you can bring those fags from downtown or drink champagne to the club. And I, <laughs> that's the way they spoke. I said, how do you mean? They said, well, you promote a night here. Why don't you promote a night? You and Chico, you put a night together. You call it what you want to call it. But this way we get the fags from downtown to drink champagne. We'll make some money. We'll give you and Chico the door and we'll keep the bar. We couldn't, I couldn't say no to that. I should have said no because I was a journalist. But I said, yeah, yeah, all right, we'll do that. And we started making flyers, me and Chico and another guy named Jimmy Christmas, whose real name was Jimmy Natale, which means Christmas. Um, so me, Chico, and Jimmy Christmas started throwing parties. And a lot of guys from downtown, a lot of girls from downtown came up and bought the champagne. And I used to put six, $700 a night in my pocket, in addition to my daily news salary, in addition to my salary from the E-Channel. In addition to all the money I got from Hard Copy and Inside Edition and all the talk shows, Geraldo, because back then all those shows paid you 500 bucks, 700 bucks for 30 seconds of work. Nowadays, they just come and call you. You get nothing. It's very different back then. So I saw bad things. And one night, they didn't like the fact that there was this black guy walking around across the street dressed like a bum and being loud. And they didn't want that to disrupt their clientele from coming in. So a couple of uh, couple of guys got together. There was some talk. They all went to the front door. Now we're all at the front door. And this is a memory I have of mine that I, I suppress a lot because I don't want to even think that it, it, it actually happened, but it did. And it was definitely, I mean, look, the guy could have been white and the same thing would have happened. But the fact that he was black, it's a little bit worse for wear in my mind. But he began to get loud across the street. The doorman, who we used to call Joey's eyes at the time, he told him, quiet down, you know, we got people coming, it's a nice joint. Don't, don't be stupid now, go take a walk down the street. This is right off Park Avenue. The guy's getting louder and louder. Now he breaks a bottle, takes a bottle out of a garbage can and breaks it. Now he's still across the street, but he's got a broken bottle in his hand. What do you think a bunch of Italians are going to do? Well, we chased him. And we chased him across Park Avenue until he tripped and fell on the grass median in between the north and southbound lanes of Park Avenue. And there we were, a bunch of guys in suits, kicking the shit out of this black guy with a broken bottle in his hand. I think <clears throat> people hit him with construction cones and shit. 
It was like a quick beating. It was a good 30 seconds. That's longer than most beatings go. He got the message. He never came by the club again, and no patron would ever be nervous again to go to Rouge. Anyhow, I'm getting way off the point. I got I to gotta promote something here because the people at Beachbody have been very good to me. And let me just say this ahead of time. I saw, I'll tell you more Mafia stories Monday. I, uh, I saw a picture of Bridget Fonda. I, and I think maybe you guys have seen it too. The lovely, you know, slender Bridget Fonda is now a very big woman. And, and it's almost unbelievable. I don't want to believe their pictures are true. I know they are true. They unfortunately tracked her down to where she lives in Encino, California with her husband, Danny Elfman. She retired from acting, you know, 15 years ago, whatever it was. And uh, she just is a very large woman now. And everybody is unfortunately fat shaming her, but most of us are just in shock that this could happen to her. I mean, she looks like a completely different person. And now is there's no better time than now to talk about today's sponsor, Beachbody. Because they like to say, and I like to say, did you know the distance you live from your gym can make all the difference in how often you work out? It's very true. We all know it. How close does your gym actually have to be for you to work out? Well, for many of us, and I'm one of the people who've used Beachbody, it's in my house. That's the way it should be nowadays, especially, I think. There's a lot of stuff out there you don't want to get in contact with. A lot of people you don't want to be around. Beachbody lets you stream over 1,500 of the hottest workouts from top trainers to all your devices, TV, phone, tablet, anytime, anywhere. Beachbody just works, man. There's no travel time to the gym. You don't have to pay for parking. Who cares what you're wearing? There's no pressure on keeping up with what everyone else is doing. Maybe Bridget Fonda should do this is all I'm saying. Not putting her down, not shaming her, but a little Beachbody couldn't hurt. I mean, ladies, there's a morning meltdown routine, 22 minutes designed to do in the morning so you can start your day feeling strong and accomplished. There's other things you can try, too. You're not going to bulk up. You're going to get slender, more flexible, and healthier. And nowadays, with everything running around, all these germs and variants, your health has never been more important. So there's no gimmicks, no fads, just proven workouts to get results. Millions have done it, and they've had tremendous success stories so, just join and start for free today. Go to Beachbody.com slash fame to get 14 days totally free. That's Beachbody.com slash fame. Obviously, results are based uh, will vary based on your starting point and your effort. But look, again, I don't want to shame Bridget Fonda. But my God, when she was walking around in Jackie Brown, remember that scene where she's, uh, she's trailing Robert De Niro? And he couldn't find where he parked the... What was his name? Marvin? He couldn't find where he parked the car at the mall, at the, at the shopping center. And she was giving him such shit. Where'd you park the car? You can't find it. She was so adorable in Jackie Brown. Of course, Quentin Tarantino had that close-up of her toes. He, he's a toe freak, a foot fetish madman. But she looked so good. I mean, look, we all look different 20-something years ago. I get it. I don't like looking at myself in a mirror much either, but boy, I'll never forget the way she looked jumping out that parking lot, following Robert De Niro, so menacing, and she's smiling and making fun of him, wearing that tank top. 
No bra, her beautiful tits are bouncing. We later found out she put those rubber veal cutlets in there. I saw her, I saw her talk about it on the show. She's not that well endowed, but didn't matter. It worked. It worked so good. Robert De Niro put a gun to her head and shot her just to shut her up. Bridget Fonda, single white female. I mean, she's made some movies that you got to see. But that picture in the Daily Mail, fat shaming, unfortunately, is in. They even got a picture of Jason Momoa, every girl's dream, coming out of his RV. Boy, he has a $750,000 RV he lives in now since they split him and Lisa Bonet, which I told you about three months ago. And um, he's walking around with a couple of holes in his shirt, some paint on it. His hair is wild. He looked overweight. I mean, he's, he's a big dude. But everybody's obsessed with weight. Demi Lovato's too heavy. Britney Spears wants to show you she can still fit in her clothes from 2005. It's getting ridiculous. We should all be able to, to, to age gracefully without people talking shit about us. I'm, I'm not going to lie. When someone goes to pot, I mention it on this show. But to follow somebody to their home and take a picture. I remember when they did it to Kirstie Alley. When Kirstie Alley was having big weight issues. And she'd order from like Jack in the Box from McDonald's. And she'd eat in the parking lot. With like the visor down, but some paparazzi caught her shoving a big hamburger in her mouth. And it didn't ruin her. She ended up getting Nutrisystem. So maybe Bridget Fonda will be the next Nutrisystem spokesperson. And she'll go back to her healthy self. She should. She deserves it. I mean, God, I mean, God damn, Jane Fonda was the workout queen of the 80s. Because Bridget doesn't watch her tapes. That's it for today, guys. That was your free show, your free ball Friday for January 28th, 2022. Go to patreon.com slash fame is a bitch to hear my Patreon shows or patreon.com slash politics is a bitch to get the latest on how ridiculously insane the Democrat Party is being. Other than that, I'll talk to you Monday. Thank you for listening. Fame is a Bitch is an AJ Benza Workhouse Connect production featuring the endless wisdom, insightful commentary, and sometimes fucked up perspective of AJ Benza. Executive producer, Mike Agavino. 